Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Well, good morning to you all. And we are very lucky here on Talking Teenagers to be talking to Liz Earle this morning, the um, beauty and uh, well-being guru, I think I'll call her. Um, (laughs) Total legend of that world. And uh, there's so much that we can learn from her. So let's hope that it is a special time. And good morning to you, Liz. Good morning. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you very much. It's an honour. Um, So tell us a little bit about the world that you're in at the moment. So I work in the world of well-being, which is actually a really exciting space to be in because there's so much talk about it. You know, we're talking about well-being all the time, well-being at work, well-being at school, well-being at home. And it's actually where I started my life, my working career. I started 35 years ago uh, working as as an editor for women's magazines. And it was at a time when people were really connecting things like nutrition and food and fitness and all these sort of weird things like complementary therapists were beginning to come to the fore. And it was when they, it, the whole world really in terms of lifestyle medicine was was being explored. So because I was the, the new junior on the magazine, I was the one that was sent off to do all these interviews and talk to people. And it, for me, it was a light bulb moment. It was the realisation that the way we live and what we do and what we eat in particular has a profound impact on how we look and how we feel and how we age and how we develop. And so I left the world of magazines and went into writing books. I've written, I think, 36 to count. Most of them are very small, but some of them are, some of them are bigger. And then I went into TV. So I started my TV career with Richard and Judy on This Morning and then did my own shows and did various things and then set up a beauty company, which is probably what I'm better known for, uh, which I've, I was sold back in 2010, so I'm no longer connected. But I've now then gone back into my original passion, which is to write and research about well-being. How much of well-being do you think starts in those teenage years and actually making good choices at those times and having a a really a a comprehensive understanding of all the things you've just talked about? I think it's really fundamental. For me, my well-being journey, if you like, really started in earnest when I was pregnant with my first child. And I was just keenly aware that I was building and developing a new being that was fully dependent on me and what I fed myself and therefore fed this new person. And then, of course, that continues through, you know, babyhood and toddler food. And, and you you know, you bring up and nurture this child. And I think we're realising more and more that it doesn't stop. It just continues. And I'm the, I have five children, so I've been through lots of different different ages and stages. My eldest two are in their late 20s. I have a little one who's nine. And then my middle two are the teens. So I have now a boy and a girl who are 17 and 18. And that's been very interesting watching their journey. And for example, we've had GCSEs and A-levels this year. So super stressful time for both of them. We've got that this year. Oh, you know, it's really, you just need to be well equipped and well prepared and they need to be backed up with really good, solid nutrition. You know, there's a lot that we can do. What I love about my work is that it's all about adding in good stuff. You know, I very rarely say give things up because that's quite hard to do. It's a bit too prescriptive. But there's a lot we can do to add in. And I think when we realise that all the brain chemistry that we have and all the energy that we get and the help with sleep and serotonin and all those things are things that we can influence through what we eat and how we live... And that's a really important message. And as parents and educators, we can help to guide and encourage and make sure that our teens have got those facilities around them to reach for. I know um, your daughter, didn't she? I think 
uh, your son mm. as well, although I'm not sure how consistent he was in taking what he was given. But, <laughs> you, you know, you talked a lot to me about probiotics before. Yes. And, and what, what kind of um, things yeah. w- was your daughter taking or your son was supposed to be taking? So, well, so, so the gut health is, is really interesting. So the book before last I wrote, it was called The Good Gut Guide. Mm. And I wrote that because there's this huge growing interest in what's known as the microbiome. And they're actually even calling it the new organ of the body that's been identified because it contains trillions of bacteria, literally trillions. We are more microbes than than we are cells in the body. It's phenomenal. And these bacteria, beneficial bacteria and beneficial fungus and viruses, really control everything we do. Now, we know that the gut is connected to the brain directly by the biggest nerve in the body. It's the vagus nerve. And we have neurotransmitters in our gut that whiz up and down all the time between our gut and our brain communicating. And our microbes communicate faster than our brain cells. So they have a really, really speedy capacity. And that's why we have expressions like gut instinct, because we instinctively know, you know, that initial reaction you get with something. And that's our gut telling us something before our brain has had a chance to rationalise it and process it. So it's really important if you're looking at mental health and brain capacity that you look at what's going on in the gut. And we can do that by feeding our microbes with beneficial bacteria to support them. And that's where probiotics come in. So this is an emerging science and there are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of beneficial bacteria yet to be identified. But we do know that there are a few crucial strains that affect brain health. So one in particular that I was feeding my teens is called Ruteri, Lactobacillus Ruteri. And it's one that's been shown to create happy brain chemicals. So in terms of reducing levels of anxiety, reducing stress, encouraging better sleep, that's something that I was definitely feeding into my teens. But I think that the overall message for them in particular is to make sure that they are looking after their gut health. So we have an expression at home and we we refer to our microbes as our friends. They're our friendly community living within us. And just as you need to look after your friends in real life and care about them, you need to look after and nurture your friends inside so I'll say to my kids you know if you had your friends today that's referring to their probiotics or are you looking after your friends and we know that we can top up our friends with supplements and we can feed our friends with the food that they like to eat like kefir and live yogurt and drink kombucha and all those fermented foods but there's also a flip side to it and that's the things that our friends don't like things that are damaging so I won't have aspartame in the house for example aspartame so that is an artificial sweetener it's found in diet drinks cola drinks won't mention any names but all the big brands Um, and so if you look at the pack for things like aspartame it's you know a lot of kids particularly teenage girls will want to drink diet drinks because they're afraid that you know they're going to put on weight and that's the cool thing to be drinking and they're heavily marketed at teens as being the cool thing to be drinking they're not cool they seriously can disrupt gut health and microbiome and um, you know you're better to have a full fat coke frankly now and then than, than to go down the diet drink route so it's about what can we do to nurture our teens to have better gut health. And it can be something as really simple as just getting some plain live yogurt into them. You know, if, if they refuse to eat these fermented foods, just get them a supplement. Just make sure that they're having this beneficial so that would, bacteria. That would be a question I'd like to ask you, Liz. I mean, you know, in layman's terms, what, what I mean, live yogurt, what else? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, my nickname in my wellbeing studios is the kefir queen. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, are you guys drinking kefir? 
I have no idea. No, <laughs> See, that's the problem. Is I you know, you mention these things, and I think, what, what are they? You know, what okay, has so Olivia, kefir. my wife, got to put okay. on the shopping list to okay, put in so the fridge? Kefir is like a super yogurt. So right. it's a, like a drinking yogurt. If you think about yogurt with Superman underpants on, that is kefir. And it originated in the Caucasus, I mean, thousands of years ago. And it is a very, very highly beneficial, lots of different strains of these probiotics. And they're in milk proteins, but you can have them if you're lactose intolerant, because what happens is the, the bacteria digest the lactose. So even though they're often made from, from cow's milk, or you can get sheep or goat's milk kefirs, 99.9% of those who are lactose intolerant can still have them because the bacteria have eaten all the lactose. And what they do is they repopulate the gut. And it's been shown in so many studies that kefir has been helpful for all kinds of inflammatory conditions, people with Crohn's, a lot of digestive issues, so IBS and all those things that, that can be symptomatic of stress, but also just overall well-being, immunity. I mean, I, I would like to see the kefir on every school menu. You know, I'd like kids to go to school and, you know, forget the old-fashioned school milk. Where's the school kefir? Yeah, so kefir, live yogurts, what, are, what mm -hmm. other foods have... Well, they often talk about the 5K, and in dietary terms, we're not, we're not talking about running a 5K, but we're talking about eating the 5K. Yes. So we talked about kefir, um, kombucha, which is a fermented tea. That's quite fun to make at home. It looks like some kind of alien growing in a, in a jar, and kids quite like that. It, it's, a, it's called a SCOBY, which stands for Symbiotic Culture of Probiotic Yeasts. And you, you buy your starter culture online and or from a community, and then you feed it sweet tea, and it turns into this fermented drink. So it's quite a fun thing to do. And here at home, we'll, we'll drink a bit of kombucha most days. So then you've got kimchi. Kimchi is a Korean pickle. So if you go to Japan, they'll give you a bit of kimchi with everything. Again, bursting with billions of different bacteria. Amazing. And you can just have a dollop of that in your sandwich, on your baked potato, whatever. And kamut, which is basically just a fancy word for sourdough. So when you, if you're eating bread, switch to sourdough bread. Um, it's much more easily digested. It's, got, it's been fermented. Um, and what's the third thing? Oh, kraut, sauerkraut. So again, if you're in Germany, you know, most cultures will have their fermented foods. Sauerkraut, super easy to make. It's basically just chopped up cabbage or veg, pickled in some brine. You leave it alone for a few weeks, it ferments. And again, just add that into salads so or sauces. you haven't actually said anything that I would regard as sort of day-to-day -day normal food. It's, it's well, it depends where you live. It's day-to-day -day normal here. My, yeah. My, yeah, I mean, it, it's in no. I mean, to be honest, we have come out of the I guess the culture if you look back when we were drinking things like buttermilk which is naturally fermented perhaps eating more yogurt some of the fermented cheeses artisan cheeses mm. you know I'd definitely head for all the unpasteurized cheeses yeah, yeah. because they've just got so much beneficial bacteria yeah. going on and unfortunately the food industry has just over processed mm. and devitalized we've become very bug suspicious you know everything is about antibiotics when it should be about probiotics we wipe every surface until it's spotless and clean. We disinfect everything. And we need to get a certain amount of dirt and grime for our natural immunity. And I think that, to be honest with you, I think a lot of the impact on our health and our mental health has come perhaps from being too clean. I think sometimes parents want that for their children as well. Sorry, slightly digressing, but they want this lovely, clean transition through teenage years, which is always a bit unlikely, isn't it? And I think part of actually getting dirty as a teenager is part of the learning and part of the important stuff. 
I think that's a really interesting point, but getting dirty in, in the metaphorical and in the physical sense, mm. definitely. You know, we know that when kids are allowed to play outside in the dirt, they have stronger immunity. You know, when they're out there, you know, eating stuff from the sandpit, you know, or playing with dogs or, you know, yeah. just being out in the soil. And obviously you want to protect them from dangerous diseases. But, you know, there is there's been a growing trend for our kids to be too clean. And that's linked to the rise in allergies and asthma and other um, inflammatory conditions. I just wonder instinctively as you were talking about the probiotics I have a, a daughter and two sons mm. I would have no problems convincing my daughter on taking these things you know <laughs> she's a vegetarian she's looked heavily into veganism she's yeah. constantly um, sort of uh, quite evangelical about that side of things which is yeah. great my sons on the other hand if you mentioned those 5k's um, mm. you know that their response would be I think automatically to switch yeah. off yeah is there anything we can do with boys mm -hmm to sort of more to be more persuasive for yeah, them sure well in my i speak from my own experience with my 17 year old um i now when he's home i will make him a shake in the morning because then i know that he's heading off for the day full of the good stuff mm. and then obviously there's going to be other you know rubbish that goes on which i can't control so boys in my experience of that kind of age are very into their fitness they quite want to be muscled up they're often into these huge big bulking protein powders which is not the way to go but you can bring in a little bit of that by saying look you know you are going to get stronger muscles it's about strength it's about you know toning up your body giving you better sporting prowess you know it's going to be good for your brain and all the rest of it but it's it's basically it's a shake and you know if you pick up any of the the men's magazines you know men's health and all of that it's all about power and shakes and protein stuff so i buy a, a plain protein powder and i mix that with milk but i throw in kefir i throw in the probiotic powders you know i get all that in there and then mix up with a banana or whatever else and, you know, and he'll have that. And I know that he's got a kind of baseline. Now, he may not have it every day, um, but I think it's it's trying to set those kind of habits. And, you know, kefir is a funny thing. When you first drink it, it tastes a little bit like a thin, sour yogurt. And the first reaction is actually, oof, you know, I'm not sure I can drink that. But the more you drink it, the more you become kind of healthily addicted to it. And my theory, unproven, but my theory is that our gut microbes are so powerful that they're sending signals to our brain. Because I get up in the morning and I swear to you, I think, where's the kefir? You know? <laughs> yeah, <too. laughs> it's like a healthy addiction. Yeah. Most of us think, where's the caffeine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. That yeah. follows quickly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Actually, I have had some now. I remember because I read the Good Gut Guide and mm. uh, my wife bought some. And yeah. did, did, this have is you, the caffeine. Have you yeah. noticed with your teenagers that when they are taking these probiotics, they're different? Definitely. You know, I've, I've had examples within family members um, of cases of anxiety. And I know of others who've been involved with OCD behaviour and self-harm. And this is my own anecdotal experience. I'm not a medic and I'm not saying that there's, this is backed by any randomised controlled trials or anything. But I do know that for um, a couple of friends who've had girls with problems with self-harm and OCD, once they started taking probiotics, in particular the Ruteri strain, mm. that it stopped. Mm. Now that could be coincidental, it could be just placebo, who knows. But, you know, it's uh, certainly really potentially that's worth really exploring. And there are medics. There's a very good research group over at Cork University who are looking particularly at probiotics and mental health. So if you mm. look up their, um, their research, there may be some mm. ongoing developments there. I mean, when we talk about well-being, we're talking about 
quite an elaborate jigsaw, really, aren't we? And nutrition is a is a part of yeah, that, isn't it? I mean, it is. like you say, it's it's anecdotal. I'm sure there are other factors around those things, but actually, if you can get nutrition right, it's a big part of the well, jigsaw. You know, it, it's really important, and I'm I'm glad that you you touched on the word veganism because I'm actually very concerned about the growing rise of restricted eating, particularly with girls. When you cut out large food groups, particularly animal-based food groups, there are certain nutrients that are only found in animal produce. So we're talking about things like B12. Yes, there is a form of nutritional yeast that contains B12, but that's the only one. And you have to take a significant amount of it every day. So, you know, it's widely available in dairy and meat and eggs and fish and all of those things. But if you start to exclude that, then you run the risk of things like deficiency of choline, which is a very important brain chemical, B12. The issue, with particularly with B12, is that deficiency which manifests itself partly in, in mental health issues, doesn't show for three to four years. So you can run on your reserves of B12 for that amount of time. Then when the wheels start to fall off later down the line, you don't connect it with your eating because you think, well, I've been vegan for years. You know, it's absolutely fine. I feel fine on it. But go and get a B12 test. You know, if you're concerned about any member of your family, I would say if anybody is, is having a restricted diet, they definitely need to be checking their B12. For girls, it's particularly important for iron, iron levels. Heme iron, the most absorbable kind, is particularly from red meat. Girls, are, you know, often young girls have very heavy periods when they, they start their cycles and they're losing a lot of blood. So they're losing a lot of iron. So you really, really need to check for anemia. It's... Yeah, it, it's a very interesting discussion. Calcium, you know, this is something that I discovered recently because I'm an ambassador for the National, well, it's now the Royal Osteoporosis Society. And we bank, as women, we bank calcium in our bones up until our late 20s. It's usually around 28, 29. Beyond that time, we are not able to fix any more calcium in our bones. That mechanism switches off. So it's really important for, for young women that they are banking all their calcium through their teenage years and their early 20s. Now, the most effective source of available calcium is dairy products. So milk, kefir, cheese, yogurts, all of that. And if you're excluding that and you're not having absorbable, bankable forms of calcium, you run the risk in later life of bone fragility and osteoporosis, a big killer. I think it's either the seventh or eighth biggest killer of women. So, and it'll be too late. And this was really stark warning for me because my eldest daughter is 28. And, you know, she went through a phase where she was not, she wasn't vegan, but she was restricted eating and she's had issues with lactose intolerance. So she was, you know, excluding dairy um, and obviously you can get fortified milks and things which are artificially fortified with calcium and, and the reason they do that is because they're not milk they're basically kind of nut juices I mean they're called milk because they're white but they have no resemblance to milk which is why they need to be fortified um, so it's really important that if you have a girl or a boy um, but particularly girls because of these specific issues with the way the female body works it's really important that they they are nutritionally very sound and looking at it very very carefully Back to sort of well-being and thinking well-being at large. So we've, we've sort of touched on nutrition and the importance of probiotics. What other key facets do you think that people need to be sort of really considering quite seriously for the, for the sort of the well-being of their young people? I think the two things probably have to be sleep and exercise. So if we perhaps start with exercise, we know, obviously, that we should be exercising more. Significantly, we need to be outdoor exercising. A really interesting studies at Stanford showing that just 20 minutes of exercising outdoors really helps to reset the brain and encourage creative thinking. 
Is so that 20 minutes a day? That a you day. And, and it doesn't have to be hard exercise, it could be a walk. But it's being outside, and they did very interesting brain trials where they put um, people on treadmills indoors for 20 minutes and monitored their brain activity. 20 minutes walking outdoors. So the only difference was indoors or outdoors. And a significant improvement of being outdoors. So even, you know, when the weather is really grim and your teenagers are kind of like having that, a duvet day... The impact, you've got the impact of sunlight... And well, it's all weather. So weather, I mean, the Japanese call it forest bathing. They go out and they find trees to walk around. Whether it's something to do with the pituitary gland being affected, whether it's something to do with air quality or oxygen levels or ozone, or I, I don't know. But we are, you know, as, as, as beings, I think we are designed to connect with nature and to be outside, even if you live in an so urban environment. It's a argument for families to have dogs, isn't it? A dog is a great idea. Yeah. Because you, it forces you outside. And even if you're just walking the streets, yeah. even if you're just walking around the park, you are outside. So, you know, don't get depressed because you're not living in a rural yeah. environment. It's yeah. being outside. It was the outside bit, which is the, the crazy thing. Even, you know, downtown Manhattan, it's you're yeah. outside, not, yeah. not inside. So, and yet, of course, being active and moving. You know, I, what I try and do with my teens is get them to vary. The body loves variety of movement. So, you know, if you're a, a I don't know, a footballer or a cricketer, you're using one set of muscles, particularly a tennis player, actually. You know, you're really, really, you're being active, you're getting your aerobic activity, but the body loves variety. So it loves to mix and match with, you know, a bit of swimming or a bit of walking or a bit of yoga stretching or Pilates or something. So I've actually varied it since doing a bit of research on this. I used to have my favourite gym moves and I would go to the gym every day and just do that. And now I realise that actually, yeah, that's okay, but I need to do a bit more. It's not just about, you know, doing 50 push-ups. I need to kind of do that and you know, yeah. occasionally on other days do different things with different bits of my body. So that's really important. And that actually also leads into the point about sleep because we know that when we exercise, and this was another finding through activity outdoors, is that time spent outdoors improves sleep quality. And again, they don't quite know why, but if you're, if you're working outside, you know, if you're doing a labourer job or gardening or whatever it is, anything, walking, getting off the bus one stop earlier so that you can walk you are going to have a better night's sleep. And sleep is fundamental. Obviously, teenagers, there's a big discussion about whether they should be allowed to go to bed later and get up later, and their whole circadian rhythm is different, yeah, potentially. Yeah. I don't know. I think they do need good quality sleep. Obviously, we grow when we sleep, so that's when our cells are, A, regenerating and repairing as we get older, but as we're young... Our, our bones grow while we're asleep. They don't grow so much during the day. It's all of that resting activity is important. So obviously that brings into things like screens, screen time. I have a no screen rule in the bedroom. It's hard and they get round it and they buy a second screen and we've had to go in. And actually the key thing that we found, because we live in the country and we don't have very good internet, is I just switch the Wi-Fi off. I mean, that is just, you know, that's the fastest way to find your kids. You turn the Wi-Fi off and then yeah. suddenly they all appear going, what's happened? Yeah. You know, either yeah. or change the Netflix password. Yes. That's, yeah. that's another way to get them to message you. But uh, yeah, so I have a really strict no screens rule. So laptops, pads, phones. And that's because? That's because several things. Actually, I was interviewing, because um, I do a podcast, and I, I did a Wellness with Lizelle podcast with a top psychiatrist recently looking at mental health. And he was saying that if you are on your screen late at night, and it's all to do, I mean, we know that the big 
tech giants want to encourage screen time mm. and they will do anything they can to hook us in. So it's all about dopamine reception. Mm. So that little pull down activity that we do on the screen to refresh, how many likes have we got, mm. how many little blue ticks, how many notifications. It's very, very cleverly designed to feed into the dopamine receptors in the brain that make you feel good. So it is an addiction. It's a physical addiction. So really, last thing at night, you know, if you're on your screens, the psychiatrist, and I quote, said, you may as well have a line of Coke and four espressos and then try and go to sleep because your brain is wired. Your brain is just so pinging away with these, this chemistry that's going to keep us awake. It's linked into the pituitary gland and the blue light that comes from screens disrupts the pituitary gland. So there are certain things you can do. So putting a, a filter on your phone is a good idea or on your iPad or you know tablet or whatever. And there are settings now on the modern versions that, that have this light setting at night. So it, it dims everything automatically. And the reason for that is to give less disruption to the pituitary gland, to encourage a better night's sleep, but actually better put it down completely. So at least two hours before bedtime. I try it myself. I mean, I'm worst. I'm constantly scrolling through Instagram late at night. So I, I do try and, you know, practice what I preach, but I try and leave screens out of the bedroom. So I bought my kids alarm clocks because, of course, that's something that they don't have anymore. They use their alarms. They use their phones to get up. So buy an alarm clock, put the phone um, outside the, the door, check they haven't got a second phone, turn off the Wi-Fi if you can or if that's going to make a difference. And just have, you know, even actually some are saying TV time. I mean, it's it's hard, but just try and go back to reading a book, listening to the radio, the printed page is not so bad. You could try and do a bit of meditation, a bit of switch off time, just try and get a real kind of sleep hygiene habits going really well. Light is very disruptive. So you've got the, the blue light that comes from screens, but outdoor light, try and have a blackout room if you can. Really, you know, line your curtains with blackout lining, any chinks of light, turn off any of those little annoying LED lights. When I travel, I travel with a, a roll of little black duct tape and I just stick it over all those little annoying LED lights that you find in hotel rooms or in bedrooms when you're staying with people. Sound, again, invest in earplugs, really useful if you're in a noisy environment. Just do what you can to, to protect the sleep because sleep, it impacts the brain development so much as well as body development. It also affects your gut microbes. Our gut microbes replenish themselves when we're asleep. So we need to give our gut a rest to allow those microbes to work. A lot of, a lot of what you're talking about is, is sort of, and it's a very un-sexy sort of word, but balance, isn't it? And trying mm. to get in terms of what you eat, in terms of getting time outside, in terms of exercise and making yeah. sure that you do that. I just wonder about a balance of sort of being with people and having time on their own. I read mm. a study that talked about teenagers who have half an hour on their own away from screens their mental health is, is is a lot better. And actually sometimes just silence or we're, we're sort of living in a culture, are we, aren't we, where we're sort of not really encouraging teenagers to like being in their own space yeah. on their own. I, don't, I just wonder what you thought about that. That's a really interesting observation. It's certainly something that I would, would definitely look at. I feel instinctively that that is right. I also read a study saying that it's very important for teenagers to be bored. You know, at the moment, they you know when they're surrounded by teens, there's no room for boredom because you pick up your phone and you're connecting, you're Snapchatting, you're sending pictures, you're checking your Instagram, you're going online, you're looking at a YouTube funny, you know, whatever it is. So there's no room for boredom. But what boredom does is allows you to develop that creativity and say, okay, what am I going to do? What can I personally do or think about or daydream? How many of our teenagers are allowed the time to just drift off and have a daydream about something that 
they might want to do or yeah. think about or consider that, that we, we're losing this time for consideration contemplation is not really built into anything so it'd be great wouldn't it if that if we could actually think about you know okay so you've got you know you've got your five a day you've got your exercise you've got your whatever and so weaving into that where is your set alone standalone time just for you on your own yeah i agree with that i guess that how as, as parents looking after teenagers where they've got that sort of one foot in the childish world and one foot in the adult world one of the difficult things is that transition isn't it how do we take them from sort of making decisions for them on their behalf to them making their mm. decisions on their own i wondered what you thought about that it's really hard and i think you need to have a sense of perspective and they have to make mistakes you know it's like i you know i have been very fortunate in my business career i've been very successful and i've run you know big businesses and developed brands but i came through quite a lot of struggle and adversity in young life and i think personally looking back that was very formative because it gave me that drive and that ambition you know they they, they say you've got to have a bit of grit in the oyster you know to make the pearl and how do we allow our children to who we love and cherish and care for to get that bit of grit that is going to be a bit of hardship you know, frankly, it's, it's... I always say that when I speak to parents, you know, that they mustn't be failure avoidant. No. And that setbacks really can be springboards. We can learn from them. It's the yeah. most precious learning resource, isn't it? I think you're absolutely right. And I was talking to an American the other day, and I mentioned something about failings, and she just brought me up. She said, failing, she said, we never talk about that in our culture right. in America. We talk about learnings. You learn from that. That's a learning, my child, what happened to you. And it is true. And you've got to, because without those setbacks, how do you know whether, how do you have the experience to say, oh, yeah, I've come across that before. That's really not going to go well. I'm not going to go there. You can, we can't do it for them. We've got to let them do it. But my goodness, it's hard, isn't it? I know I had a, I, I saw an interview with, a, I can't remember, a CEO, I think it was, it was Spandex, actually, who said that every evening when she came home, the family table at dinner, her dad used to say to her, well, right, what's everyone got wrong today? And I thought that's such an interesting question because Isn't so it? often we're seeking, what did you do today that was yeah, great? How did, did you, you love? Yeah, yeah, what were the highlights? She that called them the sure. oops moments, sorry. She called yeah. them the oops moments, the moments where you go, oops, that went wrong. And actually yeah. celebrated and um, sort of dignified those moments where you get things wrong. And actually the question, obviously, which always leads on is, well, how can, you know, what could you do about that? So you would actually cite <laughs> your early journey of challenges and adversity mm. is perhaps being one of the kind of key things in helping you to be the successful person that you've been. Yeah, I would say it's fundamental. Good. And that was in, yeah. was that in your teenage in my years? Teens, yeah. Yeah. yeah and so that bit of grit was that, that's where it was formed. Definitely, definitely. And it gave me the sense of not wanting to be in the place that I was in and that sense of, of struggle and kind of, I'll show you, mm. you know, I'm going to come through this. This is not going to define me. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, I, think, I think it is really important. And I, I used to envy those who seem to just be, have a really plain sailing yeah. and it was just yeah. all so, so easy. And yet now when I look back, I see that, you know, perhaps their lives haven't been quite Do so fulfilled. Do you think there's a nature-nurture thing on that? Do you think, you know, you are special that you had that response of, I'll show you, as opposed to, the victim poor old me posture that seems to be 
almost more endemic, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm in my 50s, so, you know, when I was growing up, there was... N there were, I mean, the platform and landscape was so different. <laughs> and, you know, nobody would have talked about mental health or nobody would have talked about kind of victim culture or yeah, anything yeah. like that. These are all such new words. So it was, it was just, well, get on and deal with it, wasn't it? I mean, that's just, come on, buck up. It's, you know, and if it's fine. <laughs> do you think, you know, finding a way through that, I don't want to obviously focus on it too much, but do you think finding a way through that was your own self-talk or did you, do you remember sort of influences or people who helped I you? I think it probably was. I think it was also, it was about having my eyes opened to other opportunities. So it was really when I started going out into the other world and mixing with other people who were very successful or going to places and seeing things for the first time because you know I was brought up in you know quite a you know kind of modest suburban insular environment and I wasn't really aware that I mean, we didn't have the internet you didn't see all this stuff that was going on so you know when I first went to London I went to London went to college when I was 17 and it was like oh wow I mean it was like big time wow and how do I get this how, how do how can I be that person how can I do that so I, I guess a lot of it was self-motivation but it was also having the opportunity to see other things and that actually led me when the beauty company was sold and I was in a financial position able to do it I set up a humanitarian charity called Live Twice and the idea of that is to offer opportunity to those who haven't had that, because I'm very keenly aware that I've had opportunities in my life and had doors that I've been able to walk through and progress. But unless you have that opportunity, and it might just be being with other people, seeing other people, having discussions, having your eyes open to, to better things. I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about puberty in terms of... Obviously, there's issues with, with skin. We were talking just before we began this conversation about your advice to people with children who've got acne and things like that and what to do. I wonder if you could just talk a bit more about that. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, skin is, is so overlooked sometimes in the medical world. You know, dermatology is very underfunded because it's very rare that you'll die of a skin disease, you know, so it's, it's, not, it's not considered critical. Um, and yet the damage that, that poor skin does to self-esteem and also comfort, you know, things like psoriasis and eczema can be, you know, hugely, hugely uncomfortable and debilitating. But I guess the key one as, as we go through puberty and teens and our hormones kick in is acne. And that's very much a hormonal condition. You know, it's not to do with cleanliness. It's not to do with eating too much chocolate. And it's, it's not something that you can necessarily fix with diet and lifestyle. So I've had friends of mine, you know, and I've, I've taken them aside when I've seen a child whose face is just covered in active acne. And I've said, you know, you really need to address this. And I remember one conversation with a parent who said, oh, yes, you know, I've, she doesn't eat sweets anymore. And, and she's doing, you know, lots of um, herbal teas and all of that. And I'm saying, I'm really sorry, but you need to go to a specialist dermatologist and you need to get on the antibiotics and you need to go nuclear with this. Because you really need to nip these kind of things in the bud. Because if you don't, if you let acne literally fester, your skin will be permanently scarred, permanently scarred for life. And what that does to an individual's self-esteem, you know, it's automatic. You see boys particularly walking around and they've got hair, you know, the fringes over the face. Their shoulders are stooped. They're looking down. 
And you want them to stand tall with their shoulders back and, the, and looking out into the world. And so, you know, I've, I've, my, my children are really embarrassed because you know, I'll go into shops and there'll be a shop assistant there and, you know, he'll have a really bad case of acne and I'll just take him to one side and say, I just need to talk to you for a moment about this because I know that you'll be feeling really bad about your skin. But, you know, here's, here's a card. Go to my website. Have a look. There's stuff on acne. Get yourself down to the GP. Don't be frightened of antibiotics. You know, I'm, I'm a gut health person, yeah, yeah. okay? I would not say take antibiotics, which I know are going to disrupt your gut, yeah. unless it's really important. But you can nip it in the bud. And yeah. for girls, you can take the hormone contraceptive pill. That can be really helpful as well. It can help control things. Got to be very careful with that because the, the pill also can affect mood and depression. People think about the contraceptive pill, that it's a much greater risk for things like breast cancer. Actually, statistically, it's far more likely to encourage mental health issues than, than cancer issues. Um, but yes, don't be afraid to, to take help and, and get good guidance. There's lots of resources online, but seriously, if, if acne is a problem, do not let it scar your face. Do treat it. And then you can start taking herbs and herb teas and all the rest of it that's fine too <laughs> well i've seen it at school where clearly uh, all i've known are people have started taking antibiotics for their skin and, and it is quite transformative isn't Immediate. it you can yeah. see it um yeah, yeah. you know in a couple of months it's just yeah. and then it goes and then you get back on top of it and then you can repopulate your gut with the beneficial and actually if anybody listening is taking antibiotics for anything do you take probiotics at the same time you know one doesn't exclude the other right and in fact if you are in um Italy or even Germany and get a prescription for antibiotics the doctor will give you a probiotic prescription at the same time Wow! and you so go to your pharmacist just say I've got an antibiotic prescription I'd like to take probiotics alongside you know there are lots of different types out there and they don't cancel each other out they're actually supportive why don't they why doesn't that occur in the UK then What's because that? we are so far behind <laughs> <laughs> I mean getting any kind of new initiative into into the NHS system is is tough but I think GPs and doctors are gradually becoming more aware of it. Just coming back to the pill, um, if your daughter's just started taking the pill, mm. what what sort of things should a parent be looking out for then? If the, you know, in terms of mood or well-being, I think mood change yeah. definitely. Just put that on your radar as something that can be affected, and be aware that there are hundreds of different types of contraceptive pill, all with different types of hormones. They are synthetic hormones, but they are you know they are very effective. Um, very good for heavy periods. So a lot of young girls, when their ovaries start to kick in, they they become super active. So they go from you know completely dormant and developing to suddenly you know releasing eggs, and that can cause a huge amount of pain. It can cause really heavy periods. So actually, I'm a great believer in in putting teens, midlife teens, on on the pill. But be aware that there are lots of different types, and the type that's prescribed may not be suitable. And so you may need to try two or three different kinds. So don't be afraid to go back to your GP. Don't write it off and say, well, that didn't work because there are lots of different kinds. Um, and do watch out for mood changes and, and mood swings. Be really, really vigilant on that. Obviously exclude other things as well. You know, you've got to look at self-esteem and anxiety. You've got to look at social media use, you know, what can be happening there. Um, you've got to look at nutrition, you know, look at things like B12 and choline and... Um, iron and you know all these other things that can affect low mood and depression so in anxiety look at gut health look at you know if your child has had lots of antibiotics when they were young I know one of my children um, was born with a kidney imbalance and had a year's worth of antibiotics before he was one mm. and you know if I'd 
known now what I knew then, I wouldn't have allowed that to happen, but I did. So his gut health was automatically compromised. So I'm now kind of trying to make up for that by giving them more probiotics in, in their teens. There's quite a lot of trial and error, really, and just and allowing that to be actually these don't feel quite right try a different one absolutely you know I, I I talk about that I mean a lot of my work in later life is now talking to midlife women and menopause and I talk a lot about HRT and people assume that it's one size fits all one type one dose and no lots and lots of different types if one type doesn't suit you switch to another absolutely the same with the contraceptive pill if not more so there are probably far more varieties of contraceptive pill there's lots of information out there too which which need looking at and you may need to be referred to a specialist or go to a GP that has a special interest and you can always look them up online and you can see what courses and what training they've done you can ring the GP practice and you can say you know I, I need to talk to a GP about uh, about women's health particularly about the pill you know which GP do you suggest I talk to because some of them will have different areas of knowledge and specialization so we can we move towards uh, a sort of wrapping up um, yeah there's, there's <laughs> so so much in here and and thank you very much uh, but a sort of final you know if you were to sort of finish and you were to offer three bits of advice to mm. mums dads teachers of teenagers and then yeah. you've got somebody that you're looking at and you're thinking oh gosh you need a bit of help what would be your your three nuggets that you would you would offer them? I think you've got to look fundamentally at what is fueling them, um, and you know my area of knowledge particularly is nutritional. So what are they using to to feed their brains and their bodies? How can we get them off sugar? You know, sugar is another addiction. How can we help to regulate their insulin levels so they're not spiking and troughing all the time? So encouraging discussions around sugar reading labels, making sure that what you have in the house is relatively low sugar, that they're eating a wide range of veg, just try and get as much of that stuff into them as possible, trying to get them to eat a diversity. Little switches, like getting them to eat sourdough rather than you know white sliced, getting them to have a bit more yogurt, maybe looking at shakes in the morning for breakfast where you can sneak in all kinds of stuff that then, when they're not looking so that you know that they've, that they've got that. So I think really trying to get that baseline level of, of nutrition and have conversations about it so they're aware, but not in a preachy way but just in an interesting way. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think for boys, it's great. You've got people like Jamie Oliver, you know, got all these great chefs who are there making cooking cool and fun, yeah. encouraging them to have a good relationship with food. Yeah. What can you cook? You know, I say to my teenage boy, okay, it's your turn tonight. What do you fancy cooking? You know, we'll get it in, you do it. And actually, it's a fun thing. Yeah. So that, yeah. that and, and it's great socially, sit around the table and eat so together and all of that. So one. that's number one. Um, I think you've got to look at sleep. You know, that really is a fundamental. If you mm. do not sleep well, and deep, you are not going to have the brain capacity, the mental yeah. capacity and the physical strength to take yeah. you through your yeah. teenage years. Sure. So look at what could be disrupting sleep. Try yeah. and get the screens out of the room. Yeah. Try and get this nice sleep habit going on in the evening. Yeah. And just routine is really key. You know, actually having try and have the same amount of time of sleep every night. Try and not get a lion at the weekends. Yeah actually try not to work really hard be sleep deprived all week and then think well it's fine i'll make it up at the weekend body doesn't really like that the body loves routine the body loves rhythm so the body loves same time same length of sleep every night and i do it to myself i force myself to get up early at the weekends i might make a cup of tea and go back to bed you know with a newspapers or whatever 
but I don't let myself go back yeah. into sleep. So the same for them, if you can. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say all the exam research, hasn't it, has shown pupils that get up at the same time and go to bed at the same time do much better than people who cram late into that. the night or mm. get up early to revise yeah. what the brain and the body wants is rhythm. Yeah. And actually the consistency of that helps you through an exam period. So I always say to the pupils in my care, always just do the same thing every day. Yeah. Fantastic. It's great. That's backed by, by research. I haven't seen Nutrition, that. Sleep. Nutrition, sleep. And I think it's just got to be lighten up. You know, let's have a bit of fun because it's, you know, life is tough. Yeah, and sure. especially for teenagers, life is tough. There's a lot of pressures. And, you know, from a brain chemistry point of view, we know that laughter releases endorphins and happy chemicals even if you don't feel like it they've shown studies show that even just sitting and making your face into a smile even if you're not even if you're not feeling it actually even the activation of those facial muscles will trigger a happy chemical in the brain so um you know finding stuff to laugh about you know, it's there's bad stuff out there, but there's huge amounts of good and finding sharing funny memes, sharing funny yeah. videos or pictures that we get yeah. sent and just trying to keep it light, yeah. I think, is, is a great way to get that balance. What a, what a great note on which to end, actually. So thanks yeah, so, so much for finish, your time. Let's finish with a smile. All of us <laughs> having a big smile. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people. Visit their website at icaniam.com. Be your soul.